0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Church of the Gates, where we desire for real people to meet the real Jesus and experience real change. We pray that God might use the next few minutes to draw you closer to him. This last Christmas Eve, we, we had Christmas Eve services here in the morning, and then we got to do something as a family we don't normally get to do, uh, just being a pastor. So we got to have Christmas Eve dinner together. Uh, and, and it was un, unhurried and unrushed. And, uh, and so we, we asked our kids, who kind of went around the table and said, what was your high and low for 2023? And Nico, our youngest, insists that we have a middle too. So we had a high, a low, he calls it a medium. And I don't know quite what that means, but he's very demanding. Uh, and so we went around the table, and over like 10 minutes, we just kind of recounted the year. And it was interesting to hear from our kids like what, like what their high points of the year were, what their low points. Uh, uh, one, of, one of our kids said, you know, the, my favorite parts of the year were Saturday mornings where we did nothing and just sat there as a family and watched TV. I was like, amen. That's good. Uh, one of my kids said, when we went to Cannon Beach and hung out with grandma and grandpa, another kid said, when I got to go watch the old Miss Rebels play, amen again, uh, and that's all of these things, and, you know, I, you were just kind of churning through 2023 and allowing ourselves to wander and look at God's faithfulness and wander and look at some of the hard things for our family and, and just allowed ourselves a little bit of time, it like 10 minutes. It wasn't that introspective. I've got four kids, and they were hungry, so this really was a 10-minute thing. But afterwards, like, there was this sense of gratitude around the table, almost empowerment, too. We'd seen what God had done. We'd seen where God had protected us. We'd seen how God had moved in our family. And it, it, 2023 felt complete. I don't know how else to describe it. It was, it was empowering to be able to think about, hey, I want to do those things again. It was empowering to think about, hey, we should try to avoid those things as a family. Those things that we didn't like, we should avoid that. And so I, I just thought, you know, I had a different sermon planned for this morning. One on Sodom and Gomorrah. That's for later. We'll do that later. I was working on it. Uh, but I just thought, like, as I as I thought about my own process of the last week, thinking through the last year and, and looking forward to uh, the coming year. Like, if you haven't started making resolutions, you're already like seven days behind. I'm sorry, you're already like failing. I don't know how that's possible. Uh, well, that's what it feels like, right? And so, what I want to ask of you is, I want to think through three practices, three practices to end 2023 well, from Scripture. Three things you can do. And I, what I'm really the application is up front. I'm asking for for you to take either a half hour today and a half hour tomorrow, or an hour sometime over the next two days. I just can't do that. Sure, you can. None of you are going to party that hard. Like it's not going to happen. Like like where you're going to have dinner. You're going to have lunch, and instead of taking a nap, just take 30 minutes. And then tomorrow, when you're off, take 30 minutes there. It's not too much. I want to I wanna, I wanna just ask you to take an hour over the next two days to do a few things. So I want to go over these few things, and then I want to invite you to follow Jesus a little bit more closer, uh, a bit more closely in 20 20- minutes. 24. So uh, three practices to ending 2023. Well, we'll do these three practices and then uh, move on towards the end of the sermon. So I want to, the first practice is to revisit the pain. And all of God's people said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. We got, we have this thing on on Tuesday mornings. Uh, We have our staff meeting on Monday And we kind of get ready for the week. And then Tuesday mornings, I meet with uh, the other guys. And we go through like every song that we sang. We ask a bunch of questions. We go through all the announcements. We say, was this compelling? Was this, did we mention this? Did we mention that? And then we get to my least favorite part of the roundup. And it's like the sermon roundup. And there's like six questions we ask. You know, was he on time? No. It's a perpetual no. You know, was it clear? Was, Was the theology that we preached, was it true to the gospel? Do, 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 all the way down. We do this, it's not punitive because we all share the same at some point. It's not punitive, but it's not non-painful either. That we don't sit around that table and review that in order to, like, uh, be, uh, to be cruel to someone, but we, we want to make sure that as we're living life, as we're leading a church, as we're preaching, as we're leading worship, that if we have blind spots, they go addressed and not unaddressed. Most of us, if pressed, could identify two or three moments in the past year where uh, the brokenness of the world hits you or where you and your brokenness hurt someone else. In your year, like it's big enough to remember uh, something you did to cause someone pain and, and, and even thinking about it right now brings you regret, right? I wish I hadn't said that thing. I wish I hadn't done that thing because of the wreckage I brought. Or you think about that pain that uh, something happened to us, whether it's loss of a loved one, or physical struggles, or relational isolation, or unmet expectations, marital conflict, or a diagnosis. We just go on and on. Uh, brokenness shapes our lives. There's a piece of it. Like we we live in a broken world. Revisit the pain is practice one. If you're like me. Uh, When you experience pain, uh, whether it's something you do or something that happens to you, you go, "I, I don't like that. You put it in a box, take it to your garage, take it to the attic in the garage and put it up there. And you say, I've dealt with it. You say, I'll never open that again or I'll revisit that later. Either way, we put up this box of our pain or sorrow, whatever it is, and it begins to ooze into our lives. Either way, whether we say we're not going to deal with it or uh, we're visiting it, it's still affecting our lives. What what I'm getting at here is the practice of lament. We've talked about this a few times. That there's a way to worship God in pain. There's a way to acknowledge that this hurt. There's a way to acknowledge that we can say, I'm broken or this world is broken and it feels unfair. There's a way to do that that actually brings honor to God and brings wholeness to your soul. It's called lament. You know, one of the one of the one of the biggest reasons we don't do this is we're too busy. Is that busyness inhibits lament? is that we, uh, we live in a moment-by-moment world. And so and, and, and in our busyness, whether that's with our kids or with our jobs or with our families or, or, or with our friends, whatever it is, it robs us of the moment. And lament takes time and perspective. Busyness distracts us from feeling. Like, all of us have done this at some point. You say, I don't, I don't wanna feel that, so I'm gonna immerse myself in work and I'm gonna work overtime. I don't want to have that conversation with a friend, so I'm going to busy myself serving my friend over here. Or, or, or we do good things for others so that we can kind of over, overcome our regret, or we do good things for others so we can please God, or we obsess over sports, hobbies, families, or work. What ends up happening with busyness is we give ourselves over to the tyranny of the moment instead of lingering where it matters lingering a little bit in pain. And so what I want to do is I, just briefly here in, in point number one, we're talking about revisiting, revisiting pain, is I want to look at what it looks like to, uh, to revisit regret. Like how do we deal with sin in, uh, in the last year that we have caused, that we have deliberately hurt somebody or we chose something uh, that was hurtful to others? How do we deal with that regret? And then over here at the end, I want to kind of deal with what do we do with brokenness that happened to us? What questions do we need to be asking? And so if you find yourself uh, at the end of 2023 saying, man, I, I really wish I had not said that. I really wish I had not done that. If you find yourself in that boat this morning, welcome to the club. 150% of you feel that way this morning. Proverbs 28.13 offers this encouragement. The one who conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Whoever hides his sin or her sin will not prosper. But by contrast, whoever confesses, whoever brings to light sin and confesses it and renounces it, repents from it, finds mercy. One of the hardest things to do, like, is to admit you were wrong. Even harder still is to admit how wrong you really were. It's one thing to say, hey, I was wrong for doing this. It's another thing for saying, I was wrong for doing this, and here's why, and here's how I know it hurts you. Here's the impact of my broken leadership, my broken uh, words, my broken choices. All of us at some point in 2023 made a choice to hurt somebody, made a choice to respond to someone ungraciously, made a choice to make someone feel our pain or to make someone feel small or made a choice to hurt someone's reputation. Notice what Solomon says: Whoever keeps their sin hidden will not prosper. The idea here is that there is uh, a, a cancer is a good metaphor that whoever whoever uh, lives the Christian life with concealed sin rots from the inside out. Uh, it's like a another metaphor would be like if you have a bank account full of money. Uh, sin is like a hacker that just steals that money, just drains and drains. That you won't, you can't prosper. You can't grow as a Christian with hidden sin. Yet Solomon says, whoever confesses brings to light and renounces, turns away from it, finds mercy. And we know this is the essence of the gospel, that all those who come to Jesus confess their sins, all of who they are, and invite Jesus to become Lord of their life. And in forgiveness for their sins, the new creation, they're forgiven for everything. For all that you bring to the table. So what does it look like? What does it look like Uh, What do we do with this regret from pain that is caused by our sin? Let me give you three things, uh, three things this morning. If you're in that boat where you say, I've done these things. I don't want to live. I don't want them to define me. I don't want to live by them. Three things. Number one, the first is to confront, confess, and renounce with God. Number one, when we think about our sin... And things we've done for someone else. Often, the focus of our confession and repentance is the other person's horizontal. It's who we've hurt horizontally. But Scripture shows us that the number one offended party in any of our sin is God. That it's all sin is chiefly rebellion against Him. And so, to Him goes goes initial confession, initial repentance to be back in union with Him. But you got to confront our own sin, which means we have to acknowledge that we are broken. We have to acknowledge we have desires and thoughts and proclivities that are not holy and that lead us into sin. We have to be able to look at ourselves. And, you know, we look at that situation and say, "Well, I wonder why I did that. So much of, like, Christian growth is being curious about why you're doing something. Why did I yell at my wife? Why did I cheat on my taxes? Why did I... um, Why did I gossip against that person? What was it inside of me that prompted that? What did I need to get out of that? The root of sin is down here in the why. Normally, when we experience regret from sin, we're, we're experiencing regret from the fruit of something deeper. We confront our sin and ask, why? Why is this here? And we confront and we say, listen, my sin against you was not justified or justifiable. That when I sin against someone, I make, a, I make a choice. And my choice to hurt somebody, my choice to sin is not justified or justifiable. You confess to God your sin, you confess to God uh, to the best of why, uh, 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 of how you can understand. This is why I did this, God. This is what I was searching for. This is what I, what I wanted and it was evil and broken and, 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 and sinful, forgive me. And you ask God to help you move on. Look. The Christian life is just struggle. Like, it's full of joy, but at the core of the Christian life, all sanctification, the progress towards holiness, is struggle. If you are struggling with sin, welcome more or less to the rest of your life in differing ways. That sin will be a part of your life as God grows you and sanctifies you and as you confess and renounce sin. Like the Christian life is struggle. It's, it's natural and normal that you would experience sin. I said said a different way. Another pastor uh, was fond of saying this. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay that way. It's okay to be broken. All of us are broken. It's not okay to stay that way. And the Lord guides us out of it. And so, first, we seek, we confront our own sin, we confess and ask for forgiveness from God. The second is we confess and ask forgiveness from the person that we hurt. Consider the fallout of your sin Did what I did cause a lapse of trust? Did it hurt their reputation? Did it harm them in ways they didn't think about? Own the fullness of your sin. I'm sorry. I sinned against you. I never want to do that again. That's renouncing. I'm sorry for the hurt I've caused. And look, ask for forgiveness. This is what, like, at the end of every apology, if you're not asking for forgiveness, it's not a full Christian apology. Just not. And look, if you've been hurt uh, or you're asking for forgiveness, forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. You may have done something that has caused relational discord that can't be repaired or won't be repaired for a while. So just because you're forgiven doesn't mean that the relationship joins back up. It doesn't mean that you're sweeping anything under the rug. If you offer forgiveness, it doesn't mean pain isn't there. That asking for forgiveness is a way to say, listen, I have wronged, I am in need of something, I am in your debt. Will you forgive me by the grace of God? Number three, make yourself accountable. We think about like renouncing sin and, and renouncing the brokenness in our lives. Do we have anyone in our life who's willing to speak honestly to us? Do we have anyone in our life who genuinely cares about our holiness to prod us towards it? Is there our accountability with other people just a short conversation? You doing good? Yep, you doing good? Yep. Is there someone who will hold us to the fire? Is there someone in our life who will give perspective on you? When you say, I don't know why you did this, they'll go, I did. You go, Super. Is there someone in your life who can give you perspective on how to ask for forgiveness and, and how to, is there someone in your life who knows you well enough to be a mirror towards you? I just think uh, a Christian community that doesn't speak about hard things isn't a Christian community. Because what it means is we're never speaking truth. We're not, we're not courageous enough to speak to one another honestly about the areas that God is working on us. We're not, we're not honest enough with each other to speak about the areas where we lack Christian community must have robust truth telling. We are never more human than when we ask for forgiveness, and we are never more Christ like than when we give forgiveness. These two things flow forward. So, as we look at uh, regret and sorrow from the past, I want to, I want to, I want to, there's kind of three statements I think of. uh, I can't go back. I can't stay here. I can only go forward. Regret. Regret says you can go back. Regret says you can stay here. Regret says you don't need to go forward. The biblical life, uh, sanctification, holiness is, I can't go back. What's done is done. I need to go own what I need to own. I need to try to repair. I need to ask for forgiveness, but I can't go back. And I can't stay here. I've got to grow from this. I've got to move forward. I've got to become more holy. I can only move forward. Say those three, three things with me. I can't go back. I can't stay here. I can only go forward. One more time. I can't go back. I can't stay here. I can only go forward. Regret is crushed under confession, repentance, and forgiveness. You can't unsay or undo that sin. You can't stay here with unaddressed sin. You can only move forward towards confession and repentance. So that's regret about sin. Like what do we do there? We confess and repent and we try to create forgiveness and reconciliation. We want accountability. We wanna grow so as we grow forward, we've got someone who's telling us the truth. About our life, but what do we do in situations where it's not sin related, where like brokenness happens to us, and someone sins against us, or or we just bump up into the brokenness of the world, uh, whether it's natural disasters, or cancer, or unmet expectations, or health hardships, or, or loss of a loved one, all of the, the, the other brokenness that kind of uh, is, is part of the world? Let me read from Job 2 9 and 10. Story of Job. Uh, God grants permission to Satan to afflict uh, Job and his family, and, and it's the series of afflictions. And at some point in chapter 2, his wife is frustrated with Job and, and his faithfulness to the Lord, and his wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. It matters who you marry, by the way. <laughs> That's a different sermon, too, but it it's just... It matters what friends you surround yourself. I don't even mean to make that a, a, a husband. I just mean who you surround yourself with matters, especially in trial. And she's curse God and die. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he said. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Throughout all of this, Job did not sin. The book of Job centers around how do we, how do we place uh, God's providence, that is his gracious oversight of the universe, how do we place that uh, next to suffering? What do we do with the brokenness in our lives? Is it my fault? Is God cursing me? Does God really have the universe in his hand? Job's wife says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Most of us, or more prone to be Job's wife than Job. We curse God for our troubles. You're not good. You can't be good if this is good. We grumble against God's providence. We bitterly wonder whether or not God really knows what he's doing. How dare you allow this? We mope in entitlement, expecting God to give us what we think we deserve. In self pity, we say, God never gives me what is good. In our sorrow, we can't move on from the why. That if we don't know why something happened, God must not be good. He must not be omniscient. He must not be a blessing. This, by the way, is a curse of modernity. That this was not a struggle necessarily in the same way in the ancient Near East. That our struggle with the why, if we can't have the why of sorrow, if we don't have that tied in, then God must not be good. Tell me you're good, God, or your providential love doesn't exist. Tell me why this happened. How we respond to hardship reveals the depth of our spiritual maturity and the depth of our trust in God's providence. One of the leading glories of hardship, one of the leading glories of hardship is that it provides a testing ground for your faith. It is the uh, it is the uh, what's that light on the dashboard that we all ignore? It's that. Suffering is like, hey, let's see let's see if you know this code's been thrown. Or do you know your faith? Is it strong? Is it deep? And what does job say? Should we accept only good from God in not adversity? What he's saying is, listen if God is sovereign, which means he's in control of the universe, and if he's providential, he's moving history towards his ultimate end, then how can we not accept the hard things that come from us, from God? How can we not accept just, how can we just accept just the good and not the bad? See, Job has a a, a sense of of God's providence that that there are things that are allowed by God and there are some things that are ordained by God. In essence, uh, what Job is saying, there's part of just being in the broken world where brokenness means we're going to experience hard things and God allows that. And there are some things God gives to us actively because He's moving us towards the end that He wants for us. Either way, Job is saying, listen, there are no accidents. There's nothing random, there's nothing coincidental. Job's response, his integrity that his wife is so enraged at, is trust rooted in the providential care and love of God. Should we not? Should we only accept good and not bad from God? God is able to take hardship and begin to redeem it and move it towards his glory and our good, even if and even when we don't understand it. So in relation to the pain you may have experienced in 2023, let me give a few questions to help assess our response. If if trouble comes, right? If trials comes uh, and, and they are an indicator of our spiritual maturity and depth, three questions to ask ourselves. Number one, how did I respond to the heartache or pain I experienced? Did I grumble against God? Am I still grumbling against God? Did I entertain a bitter heart towards God? Am I still entertaining a bitter heart towards God? Did I wallow in self entitled pity? Did I sit in doubt and linger in doubting God's character, His goodness, and power? How did I respond to the heartache? Most of us, it's a mixed bag, depends on the day, right? Just does. Some days when we've eaten and exercised, we've had our Bible study, we respond really well to pain. Some days when we didn't get enough to eat, we woke up on the wrong side of the bed and the kids came in, you didn't get any sleep, you're not gonna respond well to pain. There's some realities, right? Am I still grumbling against God's providence? Am I unwilling to accept what flows through God's hands sometimes it may be hard? Have I properly grieved the heartache I experienced. Question two, have I properly grieved the heartache I experienced? Very few people actually do this. And so the answer for most of us is no, I've not properly grieved almost anything in my life. Very few people do this well. I don't do this well. Did I just, so questions to diagnose. Have I properly grieved from the heartache I experienced or am experiencing? Did I move on too quickly because the pain was too intense? It hurt too much and so I I packed that sucker up and put it with the Christmas decorations. I'll see it next year, right? Did I account for all that was lost? I, I went to a conference years back and, uh, and they talked about creating a loss inventory. And it was, uh, if I could just summarize, it, it, it you took this, this loss, this sorrow that you had, and, and maybe it's a season of loneliness or singleness. And you say, well, like, well, what, did I, what did I lose in that? Well, like I lost the expectation by this time I'd be married. I'd have kids. You know, I'd have the picket fence or I'd have a companion to live life with. All of these things are losses in your life. Or maybe, maybe you, you got diagnosed with something this year and you what, what did I lose? I'm losing the ability to feel like myself. I'm losing the ability to plan for the future. I'm losing the ability to do the things I love. The grief is far more deep and multifaceted. Did I account for all that was lost? Have I properly grieved? In other words, what I lost or what I'm losing or the season of sorrow that I'm in or the thing that happened, am I accounting for all the ways the sorrow seeps into my soul in ways I can't understand? Number three, have I tried to move away or tried to move through the pain? Have I tried to move away or move through the pain? Most of us move away from pain instinctually, most of us never try to move through the pain. And here's the thing about the valley of the shadow of death. God will leave you there until you're willing to walk through it with him. You're going to go through it at some point. Have I moved away from it or am I trying to walk through it? Moving through it is confronting the pain and beginning to allow God to heal you. Psalm 147.3 says this, He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. And avoidance Avoidance means you don't experience the healing of the wound. It means you experience temporary, uh, temporary uh, uh, relenting from the sorrow, but you never experience healing and wholeness if you don't move into it. Lament in this season means asking God, "What do you want for me in this season? What do you want for me in my diagnosis? What do you want for me in my marriage?" What do you want from me in my loneliness? What do you want from me in my financial stress? Like, what do you want from me in this season? Second question is, what do I need from you in this season, God? What am I, I going to need from you in order to be bound up? We will never experience the promise of this verse if we don't take time to revisit the pain. Binding up doesn't happen while everything's just in a box in the attic. Winding up and healing happens when you unpack it. The three statements are the same here as well. I can't go back. I can't stay here. I can only go forward. I can't unexperience the heartache. I can't stay in the heartache. I can only go forward and through the heartache. Say that with me. I can't go back. I can't stay here. I can only go forward. This is the essence of of moving from pain, moving through pain, and allowing the Lord to grow you, sanctify you, and make you whole. Before we get too far in 2024, revisit the pain. Revisit the things you've done that you need forgiveness from. Pursue that reconciliation. Revisit the pain of the heartache you experienced and allow God to begin to bind you up. Second practice to end 2023 well, is reflect on God's goodness. Reflect on God's goodness. I was doing some, some sermon research. And by that, I mean it was on Twitter. And I saw this quote. I thought it was good. Misery loves company, but so does joy, and joy throws better parties. That's good. It's true, right? Like, it's the idea that joy is just as contagious as misery. And you know how we, know all, we all know that? Is we all have friends that are kind of like Eeyore. We have friends that are kind of like Tigger. And depending on what we need in our lives, we want them around. That if you're in the middle of brokenness and sorrow, like you want Eeyore because they'll just sit with you. They're not going to try to explain anything away. They're not going to try to move you forward. If you're in sorrow, when Tigger comes in the room, you're like, I'm going to shoot that thing. <laughs> I don't need you painting, painting roses on my, I don't, I don't need that yet. But if you just had a raise at work or, you're, or you accomplished something great, you want Tigger around? Because you, you want them to bring the joy and all of that. You don't want someone to say, well, tomorrow you're going to climb that other mountain. Like, I'm going to shoot you. i will show you a picture. Uh, this is a disc golf catcher. Uh, something interesting happens. Like uh, when I meet new people, often uh, they'll say, hey, you know, they'll want to get to know me. They'll ask me this really innocuous question. They'll say, hey, uh, what hobbies do you have? And I'm, a, I'm like a middle-aged dad with four young kids and a wife. I don't have any hobbies. And so I'll make like some joke and I'll say like, I like to sleep. You know, or I hang out with my wife. I sometimes see my wife, mostly see my kids. Uh, I come to work. It's like a dreaded question for me because I haven't had a hobby in years, right? And it was like non-existence. And it's so funny, like I've got this picture. I have one of those in my office now. I have a full-size one. Because uh, six months ago, I finally gave in to the staff pressure to play disc golf. And I, I was thinking about like God's goodness in 2023. Like, it's so funny. And I, this seems so silly. And, and I understand, like, I believe that part of the goodness that God gave me in 2023 was disc golf. I have a hobby. I have something to do with people. I have something to go out and laugh about. In a year that that had some really intense challenges for us as a family and as a church and in different ways, like this was like a huge bright spot, and it's a stupid, just throwing something, a chain thing, and I realize what it means for me. I understand who I am now, but I'm good with it. I get joy out of playing with others, getting out of the house. and exercise. Like Psalm 105, one through 10. Let me, let me kind of tease this out even more biblically. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all of his wonderful acts. You know, so it's funny, he spends, the Psalm spends 45 more verses. It's, it's a long psalm and it is a detailed psalm about how God did so many wondrous acts to preserve Joseph and Abraham and the people out of Egypt And it's just just act after act after act after act. Sing praises to what God has done. So much of the Psalms refer back to God's saving work. Why? Because the best and greatest thing God has ever done for us is die on the cross and rise from the dead. That's the greatest thing he's ever done for us. But it's not the only thing he's ever done for us. Like, I, there is some stodginess in Christianity. We say, what has God done for you? Like, well, he saved me and redeemed me and all these high-minded answers. Mine's disc golf right now. Like, and I, I don't feel bad about it. Like, there's just a piece of my life that was missing. I didn't know how to get it. And the Lord brought it to me at just the right time in just the right way that I might experience some measure of joy and togetherness and relaxation that wasn't there. And I began thinking, like, the psalmist says, tell of his, all of his wonderful acts. If you think the only wonderful act he's ever done is die on the cross and rise in your sin, like, you've misunderstood who God is in your life. He's done so many wonderful acts. And so for me, like, the big part of 2023 was disc golf. And I can, I can attribute that to our resident disc golf apologist, Danny Kugelberg. Don't get in a conversation with him, you'll buy discs. It just happens. I just choose to attribute it to God. Because Danny's been on staff for a few years and I've been ignoring him for a while. And so I took, I took like 10 minutes. I, I want to I read some things from 2023 that these 10 minutes. I spent 10 minutes and 16 things popped in my mind that I was thankful for from the year. God sustained a friend in medical distress this year multiple times, friends of mine. God allowed for me to take a sabbatical this year. God gave me space to learn and make Korean food. It's so good. God gave me the space to spiritually breathe a few times this year. God made it possible for me to me and my family to visit my brother in Chicago. He made it possible for my family to go on vacation together. He made it possible for my older kids to go to Christian camp. They came back singing worship songs. Like, that's the best part of the whole thing, you know? God sprung up a desire for our kids to worship him. God allowed me to see fruit of our labor at the church. God made it possible for me to perform the wedding of a close friend I didn't think I was going to get a chance to do. He made me, God made me aware of sinful patterns that I had not seen that were causing me harm. Very gracious. God led me through deep waters of my own inadequacies so I'd learn to rely on him more. God let me hang out with Peter Odonga. You remember him? By the way, by the way, they just finished finished up their thing. Over a thousand teenagers came to this this thing that you guys supported. He was like, we ran out of rice. We said, that's hard to do in Kenya. This is the point, like God, like you guys, you guys just, just, that's a whole nother thing, but we got to hang out and play disc golf with Peter Odonga. God showered me with generosity uh, through the church family. God stayed with me through some hard things. God provided good support for kids. That was 10 minutes. I had 16 things. When I begin to reflect on God's goodness, it overtakes the sorrow of the year. And I promise you, when you do the same, You won't forget what happened, but when you begin to churn God's faithfulness in these things that we think are just mundane, silly parts of our lives, what your heart begins to do is it begins to soar and lift out of darkness. doesn't mean the pain's not there. doesn't mean the sorrow's not there, but there is just a lightness to the soul when you believe and you begin to look at all that God has done for you. One of the byproducts of reflecting on God's goodness is it reminds us that God's never gonna leave you. That God's never left us, that God's never gonna stop loving us, and never gonna stop caring for us. If God was with us in the past, He'll be with us in the present, He'll be with us in the future. We, you know, in Missoula, we've had a lot more sun than we normally do. But I remember moving here, and they said, You gotta take a lot of vitamin D, otherwise, you're gonna get super depressed in January and February. Right? My wife thought that meant just go to Disneyland in February. We did that once, only once. What, what, what the psalmist is saying is if you allow this really corny pun, we need some vitamin G. Gratitude. I understand what it sounds like, but you'll remember that. How do we prompt gratitude in our house, in our lives? How do we, how do we prompt testimony of God's goodness? Three questions. Where did you see God move in your spiritual life this year? Like, how did God grow you? Did he help you read the Bible more? Did you grow theologically? Did you grow uh, in endurance? Like, what did God do in your life that is almost intangible in in the sense that it's spiritual? What growth did he spur on? Uh, Question two, how has God protected and provided for you or, or answered or helped you? Did God withhold something from you this year that you really wanted that in retrospect, you can be like, that was an awful idea. Did you lose out on a job opportunity that you were psyched about only to find out this was a dumpster fire? Like God restrained me from that? Did God withhold a relationship that would have been really painful and sinful? How did God provide for you when you had need? Did he work through the church, the friends, uh, a check in the mail? Did he provide friendship or, or space to think or money or food or clothes or wisdom? Like, what did God do in your life? And I'm telling you, it can be as silly and as mundane as a hobby. Like, we don't have to be high-minded about it. God is not high-minded about the way that he works in your life. He is high-minded, middle-minded, low-minded. He's all over your life. We need to look for it. Question three. What were the highs of my year and how did God make it happen? I want to look for and recognize the joys of the year. Don't rob your soul of recounting God's goodness in your life. He's been at work, and your soul and your heart needs to be reminded of this. Third practice of ending 2023 well, reset your plans, reset your plans. Uh, Proverbs 16, nine says this, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step. Step one, revisit the pain. Step two, reflect on God's goodness. Step three, reset your plans. And so this just means like Solomon observes uh, what what men, what mankind naturally does, we plan things. And over the course of scripture, we see multiple places like in, in Ephesians where, uh, where Paul says, redeem the days, for the days are evil. Moses in, in Psalm 90 says, listen, teach us to number our days so we can be wise. Ecclesiastes, there is an appointed time for everything, a time to live and a time to die. Uh, you guys heard of the death clock? It is super great. Really interesting. It's a, you go online and you type in some data about yourself and it tells you when you're going to die. Yeah. This is good perspective giving. I'm going to die on September 19th, 2053. That's what it told me. I have, if that's true, I have 29 more years of life. That's it. I have 10,855 days. It means I'm on the back half of my life. It means my days are numbered, but it also means so are yours. What do I want to do with 29 more years? Who do I want to be? What do I want to see? I want to watch my kids grow and get married and have kids. I want to watch my kids grow in their faith. I want to grow more in love with my wife. I want to grow steadier in my faith. I want to grow in boldness and fervor for the gospel. If you knew the exact date of your death, how might it change the way you use your days? It's the essence of Moses. Teach us to realize we are finite beings, that today is, tomorrow is not promised. God has entrusted us with these days. God has entrusted us with these days. They're a resource, a finite resource. You don't get more, you only get less days. What will we do? We'll make plans. We'll count the cost, we'll leverage whatever wisdom we've got. Notice the contrast here. It says, uh, the, 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 man, the, the man plans in his heart what to do, but the Lord establishes his steps. There is this contrast. Uh, what Psalm what, what, what is saying is, it's not bad to plan, but if the plans come just from your heart and there's nothing else governing that, the Lord will do what's necessary to establish what he wants you to do. If he can't change your heart, he'll change your plans. If he can't change your desires, he'll wreck your plans. If he can't change your dreams, he'll destroy your plans. So how do we reset our plans so we walk with the Lord? Three things, and then we'll be done. How do we reset our plans so we walk with the Lord? Number one, write your plans in pencil and give God the eraser. My kids have a hundred different kinds of markers. hundred different kinds of markers. A bunch of washable ones. You know which ones they don't use? Washable ones. You come to our kitchen table, you know what's all over it. Permanent marker, paint pens, all of this looks like a Jackson Pollock painting. Look, you should be planning for tomorrow. You should be planning for how to live your life and, and, and making goals and honoring the Lord and all of that. But write it in pencil. Give God the eraser. Give him the freedom To move in your life, to move in your plans, unrestricted. Give him your desires, your dreams, your hopes, all of that. Number two, then make plans that would honor God. This is what I love about God, that that he spoke into existence the Bible. We have his words, we have his decisions. That is to say, we can make plans right now that we know 100% he will honor. Why? Because we're just being obedient. Like, like this, there's, there, there's a, lot of, a lot of decisions we've got to make in our life, and yet there are some that are slam dunks. Here's a few slam dunks. Pursue your families with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another slam dunk. Hang out with your family. Have dinners with them. Don't just shuttle them to and from practices. Slow down. Any effort you you, you move towards your family and creating a strong family. God's gonna honor that. Another thing, God's gonna honor: build up the church you were made to pour yourself out in the service of the gospel. I don't care where you work. That is your secondary job. Any ounce of effort you give in your life to pouring yourself out to the building of Christ's bride, the church, will always be honored. Share the gospel. Go have a meal with people on the wall. Invite people over. Go go to Kenya or South Korea next year. Grow in holiness. There's a ton of things you can give yourself to in 2024 and the rest of your life that God Because of who he is and because of what he said, will honor out of the gate. Number three, final thing hold lightly what you value greatly. You want to make plans and reset the plans. Hold lightly what you value greatly. Don't cling to something you're not entitled to, your health your financial stability, your good marriage, uh, your hopes and dreams for your kids, your hopes and dreams for your soul. God, here's what I'd like to do for the year. Take out whatever is not of you. Put in whatever I need. I, I offer this to you. It is, it is your will of saying your will be done. Here's my plan. Establish my steps according to your will. Each minute matters. Each day matters. Each month matters. Each year matters. Listen, there are no meaningless moments, days, or months. There are only wasted ones. Don't waste this. I just to the, to, the, to the younger generation, the teenagers and young adults, you are not guaranteed anything. You are not invincible. Old age will come for you as surely it has come for all of us. Your bodies will break down. Your beauty will break down. Your wisdom will break down. It's coming for you. And yet, most of us would give anything to be back in your shoes to live our lives more for the cause of Christ to live our lives more for holiness, to set ourselves up for a different future, not out of regret, but out of wisdom to say, there is a moment if you are young and you capture it and you don't live for yourself where you can set up a year of faithfulness that leads and bleeds into years of faithfulness. And it's not too late for the old folks. I've only got 29 years. This is me in this. Reset your plans. Pursue the Lord. Pursue the lost. Revisit the pain, reflect on God's goodness, reset your plans. If you don't know Jesus, come to him today. All of that, all those three steps. Step number one is if you don't know Jesus, you haven't given your life to him, if you haven't come to him for forgiveness, confess your sin, renounce your old life, and become born again. Enter into 2024, a new creation. If you know Jesus, welcome to the struggle. 2024, year. 2024 is going to be hard. It's going to be joyful. You're going to be asked to do things by the Lord. You're going to be led into the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to be on the top of the mountain. There's going to be peaks and valleys. Our challenge as believers is to leverage every moment for him. It's a church. Leverage every moment. Waste none of it. Pour yourselves out for the gospel. Pour yourselves out for the church. You will never waste any moment in that pursuit. Let's pray. Teach us to number our days, Lord. That we might grow in wisdom. Give us courage to look back. To not leave any sin unconfessed, unrenounced. Give us courage to look back and confront brokenness and hardship in our lives. That we might experience the binding up of our soul. God, give us us eyes to see what you are doing in our lives. Give us eyes to see the goodness, your faithfulness. May it spring forth in gratitude and may we enter 2024 with full hearts, leaping for joy for what you've done. God, may we look forward to what you have for us, the peaks and the valleys knowing they all flow through your hands. Help us to leverage every moment, every minute, every day, every month, every year for you and what you would have us do. That when this time comes to leave the earth or when you come back, that we might see you as beautiful, might see you as compelling. God, for your glory and our joy. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon podcast from Church of the Gates. For more information about our church or to connect with us about what you've just heard, please visit churchinmissoula.com.